0: Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Him to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. And He said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So, he went and hired himself out And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of, his, one of the servants and, and asked what these things meant. The servants said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessings to it this morning. Give us his spirit and write his eternal truths upon our hearts. You may be seated. What is your identity? What are you? We all long to classify ourselves, classify things about our world. Some of us have longed to be married and are now married. Some of us still long to be married and we identify ourselves as single. Some of us are dating and we want to define that relationship. What are we? We want clear identity. So one of the appealing things about working at OU is to have great sports. And sports actually lead us to identity. I'm wearing an OU tie underneath here. I feel part of that. When the team wins, we win. When the team loses, we lose. That's appealing. You can sit down every Saturday and watch two to three hours of a ball game, or less, just watch the Sports Center highlights, and you could have a clear winner and loser. Clarity about identity. And that's, that's the great thing about sports, but that's also the infuriating thing about sports. I'll never forget one time when I was, I had have, have Thanksgiving dinner with my family. I was sitting around the television, you know, in that post-Thanksgiving turkey coma, and Jerome Bettis, the bus, was playing for the Steelers. The Steelers were playing against the Lions that day, and uh, it was tied going into, the, going into overtime. They, they, someone tied the game, and we got a coin toss. And back in the day, the overtime rules were such in the NFL that it was sudden death. Whoever won first, or whoever scored first won the game. And so the coin toss took on extraordinary importance in this ball game, right? Whoever wins the toss has a big advantage because they can score first because they can get the ball. Well, Jerome Bettis, the visit, who's representing the Pittsburgh Steelers, the visiting team, called the toss. Referee says, "Calls in the air." He calls it. He says, "Tails." The referee says, "He calls heads," and the coin falls on the ground. And he's like, "It's tails." Detroit wins the toss. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jerome Bettis is like, wait, 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 I called tails. And he's like, no, 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 you called heads. And the, and the referee gives the ball to the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions drive down the field, kick a 40-yard field goal, win the game, and the Steelers and Bill Cower and Jerome Bettis are infuriated, and they don't win a game the rest of the season. It was demoralizing. It was unjust. The referee cheated. How many of you have seen a manager at a baseball game storm out of the dugout, face red, breathing fire at umpires who wrongly called his player out? The umpire blew the call. They, that guy misidentified what happened there. Identity is everything. We don't like it. LeBron, you know, if you watch basketball, he gets that incredulous look, that, oh, I'm going to cry look when a referee calls a foul on him. You've seen the old ball coach slam his visor down when the referee makes the wrong call. But the good news is today we have instant replay. We can rectify all the, the messed up calls that referees make. If any of you have been a referee, I feel for you. If you have been, been an umpire, I feel for you. We can make sure we have clear winners and losers today because we love getting it right. We love right identity and it makes us sick when we don't have it. If you look at verses 1 and 2 in Luke 15, it shows that Jesus' opponents are begging for instant replay. Jesus was blowing it. He was celebrating and sharing table fellowship with sinners. He was offering them dignity, respect, and care He was not shutting them down, shunning them, and scorning them. He was eating with them. And that's the problem. It was awkward for them. Jesus was, Jesus was, was supposed to respond to their identity. They were untouchables. They had turned against their own people and collected taxes against their own people. They had defrauded their own people. They were criminals. He was to avoid them. But he didn't. So, Jesus, recognizing their outrage at missing the call, according to them, he told them a story to teach them a difference between what they thought was love, human love, and what is true love, which is divine love. So unlike sports, in real human relationships, real human relationships, the ones that you know in your work, at your home when there's no instant replay, when you blow it. There's no replay in this story. In this story, there are three characters, which clearly represent three players. The father represents the God whom Jesus represents. The younger brother represents the sinners and the tax collectors, the unworthy, the bad guys. The older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes are the good guys. They were the good guys. They looked a lot more like Jesus or what you think Jesus would look like than the tax collectors and sinners. They were the unquestionable good guys. The older brother in the story is that guy. And so I want to to just submit to you that divine love, God's love, looks like from our vantage point or it ought to look like from our vantage point, a terrible mistake. Just look at the story. God's love throws parties for prodigals and seemingly ignores or fails to appreciate faithful performance. We all ought to be outraged. But there's no instant replay to correct that relational neglect. And there's no instant replay to, re- to correct some of the injustices you receive. It's plain as day, and it's more serious than the zebras with whistles getting the, getting the call wrong. This is God relating to sinners. This is God welcoming in sinners and eating with them. It's worse than a pass interference call. It's worse than a coach calling to leap punt the kick and we lose the game. It's worse than that. We ought to be really outraged about this. We feel we all feel like we should get what we deserve. When we work hard, it steals our joy when the powers that be blow the call. When they give the promotion to someone else who doesn't deserve it. When you're killing it at your job. Wives, when your husband comes home worn out and doesn't notice how nicely you cleaned the house that day. That destroys you. Children, when you are obedient and your parents or your teachers don't see it, it infuriates you. You get outraged. Some of you spent your whole Saturday working in the yard and it seems like no one appreciates it. It's just unbelievable. That was the Pharisees. That was the older brothers feeling exactly that the love of Jesus is really that outrageous and stupid In context, it makes no sense. It's outrageous. How can Jesus eat with sinners? Is the question that they were asking. And you see that tension? Jesus is not a bad guy. He shouldn't be eating with the bad guys. He's eating with all the worst. Is Jesus just a blind referee? Is he just a checked out spouse? He's just too tired. The idiot boss. He's throwing a party for the wrong person. It's completely unjust. And it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? It just keeps getting worse. Now, many of you have read you know, books about this. You've heard probably more than one sermon about this. You've read it in your quiet time. You know that the, uh, that the older brother is the fall guy in the story of this. But to end the story with the unrighteous brother inside and the faithful brother outside the door was just as surely it was as surely as a, a despicable and outrageous way to end this. Are you and I really in favor of throwing parties for unrighteous younger brothers, prodigal sons? Are we really for that? Jesus sure is. We shouldn't view the elder brother so harshly for judging the father, should we? Because we would all be doing the same thing. We none of us judge ourselves as hardly as others do, because we all know our own sin. We all know we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We would be just like that older brother. And look, just look, the younger brother wasn't even just neutral. He wasn't even good. He was a wreck. Absolutely a wreck. The younger son of the father was an objectively terrible human being. He forsook his agricultural work first. That was a big deal. There's a lot of Things at stake if you just leave your agricultural work. Who's going to do your job? He leaves and goes, blows all his money on reckless living. He just left with a bag of money, and somebody else has got to do his job. That's terrible. Two, he abandoned caring for his father. Now, that's an imprisonable offense in the culture. Children, listen to that. Care for your father. That's, that was in prison. You could go to jail for that if you, if you forsook your sonly duty or your daughterly duty in that culture. Now, the older brother did have a double portion and, and more responsibility, but the younger also had responsibility to his dad. Third, here, there were cultural attitudes towards uh, this being a prodigal. You were entitled to being disowned and shunned by society if you were that. The elder son was doing exactly what was expected to him. It was expected in his culture to shun his returning brother. That's just what anybody would do. Who could blame that elder brother? Who could blame the Pharisees for looking at Jesus and scratching their head and being outraged? They lived not in a culture of grace, but a culture of performance. Perhaps the worst part of this is that and what's even more provocative to everyone there is that the younger brother just wasn't coming back irresponsible. He, he gave up his job, ran off squandered all of the money, or shameful. But he was also ceremonially unclean when he came home. That was a huge deal. According to the Bible, he was cursed. What he was doing, he was taking uh, care of pigs. And you simply couldn't do that. That was treated with disdain by the Greco-Roman world and Jews were prohibited from doing so because that would be ceremonially unclean in the Old Testament. Pigs were neither to be eaten nor touched. They're cursed. And so can you pick up on the analogy between those who fed pigs and the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was, was throwing parties for the pods were, were known, the pods in the, in the verses we read are known fodder for animals and, and it's food of desperation for humans. It's sick that he was going after that food. He was longing to be fed with the food that the pigs ate. And the father, it's just worse, the father was welcoming home, not just a shamed person, not just a, an irresponsible person, but a ceremonially unclean and cursed person, a son and he welcomes him home and he threw a lavish party for him. Are we really in favor of that? Are we really in favor of that? We all need to be honest about the answer. Do you support Jesus' works? Do you support the Father's works in throwing parties for such people? Don't forget, I mean, if you can't identify the elder brother yet, think about this guy. Think about his plight. He is upset because he has just come in from doing overtime in the fields, work that his brother isn't doing, to come home and, and hear a party going on without him. If anybody ought to be included in the party, it ought to have been the most faithful son, the number one guy, the big performer. It ought to be him. But there's a party going on while he's out working still. Okay? He was totally overlooked. You know, he had placed his identity and what people thought about what he was doing. And it crushed him that people were not respecting him and giving him deference and saying, hey, we want you to come into this party. No, they're ignoring him in the fields. Now, if you're in school, you know, the younger brother was like the kid struggling through the exams, and the elder brother was not only passing the test, but he was that kid who got up in five minutes and turned in his paper really loud in front of everybody so that you could see that he's the fastest at doing it as well. The best at the test. How many people we have like that in here? I'm that guy. I was that guy. I wanted to be that guy if I wasn't that guy. I always wanted to be the fastest at taking the test so everyone would notice just how smart I was. You know? That's actually what, and thinking about that, that actually hit me more than anything this week. It met me there in my soul, and I was like, that's exactly how I want God to feel about me. I want to be turning my paper, doing all of my responsibilities, and him to say, great. You are awesome. Wonderful. Now, your church here, you've got, you know, great liturgy, good theology. And couldn't you just be like, well, can't you throw us a bone, Heavenly Father? Like, don't we deserve a little more than what we get? I mean, church down the road's got five services, 5,000 people in each one of them, and they are doing a lot, and it seems like everybody likes them, and nobody likes us. Okay, I mean, like, like, you might feel that way sometimes. We don't get any respect. All right? So not only does the Father fail to acknowledge us sometimes for doing great work, he makes a fool of himself, too. Okay? The Father was, had dishonored himself Uh, In the culture, apparently it was not right for daddies to go running along, picking up their robe and running. That's that's in the commentaries. Respected older men didn't run because it was viewed as shameful to show one's legs and appear so undignified. That's why I'm wearing this robe. I don't want to show my legs. It'd be undignified. I'm contextualizing. You just didn't do that. You certainly didn't put shoes on another man's feet. That was servants' work. He is being humbled beyond measure. The father, shooing the son, running towards him, embracing him, kissing that prodigal son whose mouth had been on pig food, chewing pig slop, he kisses that mouth. His son was cursed in shame, and the father took that on. The father took all the derision on from the people around him, thinking, what a fool. His own son thinking that. Now, when I'm at church, sometimes I get bored. Surely no one's bored today. Uh, but when I'm, when I'm, when I'm like, in church, sometimes I get bored. Sometimes my children get bored during the middle of a sermon. And so my lap becomes like this revolving door. Sometimes Knox is jumping in my lap. Then it's Owen. Then Grace. Then Lily. One after another. Then Meredith. <laughs> like, so, like, people just got, we don't know what to do, so we're just like jumping. You know, we want to move around, get up. You know, and so, so my kids jump in my lap. And, and you know, like it's hard to pay attention to complex arguments. I get it. Um, you know, um, I when they're in my lap, sometimes I'm like, I'm glad they're in my lap. That's nice. You know, because you don't get to snuggle with your kids enough, do you? Uh, but then, then sometimes they have like breakfast on their mouth, and that gets on my shirt collar, and it, I got to dry clean that and. And the feet, their feet, the soles of their feet, the soles of their shoe, you know, they kind of stick their feet up on my pants, and it gets dirty, and then I got to dry clean that. I'm like, I'm seeing dollar signs, and I'm like, great. Um, so, so then I'm like, hey, put your feet down, you know, wipe your mouth. I, I'm not the father in the parable. I'm just not that. I love my children, but, but I've got limits, okay? I can't get dirty. You know, it, it, it bugs me. I kind of swat them out of my lap and then the next one jumps in and gets me dirty again. I'm not the father, but it's not so with the father with God's love. For me to relate to my kids necessitates my own cleanliness and my own convenience. My reputation could take a hit if I'm walking around with donut on my shoulder with like dirt all over my pants. I don't look distinguished or dignified as much as I could. Um, Those elder brothers and Pharisee types might not have been able to comprehend how they could have been so outside while the father's throwing a party for that undeserving son, but not many days later they would. The party was an outrage to them, but it shouldn't have been. Should it? Should it be an outrage to any of us? Because those Pharisees, those scribes, those elder brothers— We're about to see divine love. The cross is an outrage, is it not? It is the the Son of God, the Eternal One, the the Father's Son, without sin, being shamed, beaten, naked, scorned, spit on, crucified, dead on a cross. That's what the cross is. For sinners like the younger brother, like the lost son who has Shamed himself, been unworthy, has nothing to bring to the table, no performance. That's what what the cross is. That's what we all are. And so they hadn't seen divine love yet, these elder brothers, these scribes and Pharisees. But they were about to. And so their identity was not righteous. Their identity was cursed because they had to have the son... Die upon a cross for them. That's what they had to have. Without that, they had no relationship with God. They had, they had no peace with Him. They had no home with Him. Without the Son, who is without sin, dying upon a cross for them and imputing righteousness to them by faith. Okay, it's by grace that they're saved. They have no works at all to boast about. Martin Luther once said that divine love is creative, but human love is reactive. That's why this love is outrageous to us. God's love towards us sees nothing in us and we don't get it. But you, the, way you were, the way you and I love is like, you know, I had an opportunity a year ago to marry Alan and Laura. Alan and Laura, right back there. And, and Alan and Laura met each other through a Sheds of Hope uh, project. Uh, and, and they quickly saw, well, he's cute and she's cute and And he's got a lot of character that I like, and she's got character. There's something in them, there's something intrinsic to them that they liked, and that's what attracted them and drew them to each other. Character, beauty, handsomeness, you know, that kind of stuff. They saw it, and they reacted. Human love is reactive, but divine love is creative. Divine love sees what's not there and says, I'm going to make that there. I'm going to make something out of that. I'm going to make somebody beautiful. That's what the Father's love was like. That's what God's love was like. You know, human love is reactive. That's the key to the story, y'all. Divine love is creative love, it doesn't take into account how it finds a person. Divine love is about where it will take that person, what transformation it can make of that person. Divine love is about creating newness, not responding to what good is already there or the good that we think is there that's only a mirage, actually. The Pharisees were going to see Jesus on a cross humiliated for them to embrace them. In all their sin, all their pride, all their hypocrisy, all their worshiping of performance, their being enslaved to doing right, Not for the joy of doing right, but for what others would see about them." Look at the character of that good, deserving elder brother. He was critical. He was joyless. He was suspicious. He refused to celebrate with a redemptive story. He was utterly lost. There's some of us in here today that are just like that. Critical, suspicious, refusing to rejoice and have joy in other people's redemption. See that the younger the younger brother was his he was off in a far country. The elder brother was, his heart was in a far country, right? And what really turned the tide there was when that for the younger brother was not, I would argue, not just how yucky the father country was, but just how good home was. He's going to go home, and he's going to find welcome there. If home is good for you, it's going to draw you back to him. Not just your yucky circumstances, not just the yuckiness of you, but knowing that divine love is creative rather than reactive. The elder brother was so close that his heart was so far. Are we going to take that to our hearts, from our heads to our hearts today, this morning? Are we going to transition to that? Are we going to move from critical to joy? You say, that's outrageous. That's an outrageous party. But what's outrageous is forgiveness by grace. It's saving us from hell through an innocent and righteous son crucified. It's more, today, are we going to move from more awareness of self and God? Um... You know, the Bible says that, Paul says in Romans 5, you know, almost nobody would die for a good man. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, he died for us. He died for us. That's, what, that's, that's God. That's his love for us. If you were writing this story, if you were going to paint this story in response to the worship. I'm going to make everyone paint after this. There's, there's easels outside. If you're going to paint the story, how would you paint this story? How would you, how, what would the father's face look like? What would your face, what would, or what would, the, what would the prodigal son's face look like? Would it look like you? There's an old old story about Rembrandt who actually painted this, and it's in a, and it's in a museum somewhere. You can go look at it. It's like it's him and his girlfriend are, in, are, are the prodigals in the story. Do you see yourself as that kind of person that it's outrageous for Jesus to be with you. It's outrageous that he ought to give a party for you. It's outrageous that he ought to kiss you. It's outrageous. Jesus invites the Pharisees to turn their world upside down, to adopt God's attitudes. The world celebrates shaming bad guys, Donald Trump, Obama. We just shame them. What they say. It's outrageous. The Bible calls us to pray for them kingdom of God celebrates bad guys come home. We've got to stop shaming everybody and start showing divine love, which doesn't love according to reactive what you've done, but loves about what might be. It's identity. It's identity. We have an identity we've never earned in our lives if we're in Christ. If our faith is in Him, we haven't earned it. It's by His creative love He's seeing our dirty face and cleaning us. He's kissing our face. It's at the cross. Only there can you see that kind of love. Um, Let me close with this. Um, Are y'all the Dave Ramsey people? Anybody? Dave Ramsey's big deal is he gets you out of debt, and so he makes you work really hard at getting out of debt. And then his greatest advertisement for his services is he'll show a couple who worked really hard. They've eaten rice and beans for two years. They've paid off all their debts. And then after they tell their story on video, they will do a debt-free scream. And so you get this couple, and they'll, they'll embrace each other, and they'll yell, We're debt-free! And it's, it, it's, a, it's an image. I did it just so you could, if you haven't seen it. It's memorable. You know? We're debt-free! And so, you, like, like, they've worked hard for that. And it's, like, legitimately an emotional thing for them. They've been moved, right? They have a new identity. I was indebted, now I'm debt-free. That, that that that's what I'm sorry, to yell. Okay, so like that that that's 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 what this is yelling at them. Jesus is yelling at them. He's outraging them, saying, Look, this is you. You ought to feel that. And at the cross, you will. And that's what we're gonna remember as we go to the table. Let's pray before we go there. Father, this story is so wonderful. We look at it, it's about two, two brothers, but it's really two identities. Lord, cause us to look in our hearts and see, are we ones who are shaped by love, by your love, or are we shaped by how we measure up other people? how much we're appreciated, how much respect we get. Lord, call us to to no longer be outraged when we see grace. Call us to start loving. Call us to stop living like employees and start living like sons, adopted sons of you. Lord, if there are those here who don't know you, Lord, I I pray that as they hear these words, as we see uh, and, and sense your gospel and the supper that you would draw them to Jesus, to the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.